Hi, and welcome back to a podcast above a convenience store, Talking Twin Peaks. I'm Joe Fremming from the Joe Down. With me, as always, is Paul Muad'Dib from Cast That Movie. Paul, how you doing? Good. Uh, doing well, thank you. Better than um, better than Cooper, uh, or uh, Mr. C, I should say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last week, we went through the braingasm that was uh, <laughs> part eight of the return, and... Uh, and now we're on part nine titled this is the chair which it it seems it, it certainly feels like it's the last episode it went to one extreme of twin peaks this one kind of like felt like it was swinging back into like almost original run twin peaks at times yes completely agree Okay, and so let's kick this off. Uh, we see Mr. C walking down a dirt road, looking like he's seen better days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, you know, I was just surprised he was walking. <laughs> no, I mean, he shot up like the T-1000, I mean. That's that's true, he did shoot up like the T-1000. Oh, so what men must be incredible doctors. <laughs> I, I, if I think if anything were to happen to me, I would want the woodsman to fix me up. I, yes, I would agree with that. Well, they were trained at Walter Reed, I'd imagine. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, after this, uh, we get a, a cut to a plane uh, with Cole, Tammy, and uh, <laughs> Albert. Uh, Tammy gets a call, uh, brings... Uh, uh, so Gordon Cole's got to talk to Colonel Davis. Uh, he's warned to keep his voice down. Yep. I love how they have to remind him that he's he's deaf. <laughs> right, right, right. Because it wasn't because Diane's there too. Diane is is sitting next to Albert. Yeah. yeah, we get one of my favorite Diane Albert moments later on on the plane. But uh, so uh, he's like, you know, immediately picks up the phone. What? <laughs> <laughs> and like we hear some chatter, and he doesn't appreciate the language Davis is using. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then he goes, "Oh, a place!" And I'm going, "What was it he thought he said?" <laughs> well, when he says Buckhorn, South Dakota, I think we can get at least the Buck part. We're gonna be confused. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so he's getting the low down. He's they have to meet up with Anox, uh, and we see Diane's here in all this mm-hmm. uh, as Albert's snoozing. Albert's like me when I'm on an airplane. I immediately me on a plane on a road trip when I'm not driving. As soon as I'm moving, I'm zonked. I'm zonked the fuck out. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. I wish I could. I wish I could. It's one of the few things that, like, I have bad insomnia, but if you put me in a moving car, I'll just pass right out. It's amazing. That's awesome. Good for you. <laughs> well, I mean, not when I'm driving, then. <laughs> we'll have issues. Uh, now we go back to, to basically uh, a farm. <laughs> we meet Tim Roth. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Mr. From Reservoir Dogs as Hutch. Yeah, as, yeah, as Hutch. Um, and he's like, he's like, you know, where, what is this place? It's a farm. Where, where are they? Where, where, where's the, where's the owners? Oh, they're sleeping out back. (laughs) (laughs) When we see them, they're just dead. They're just dead in a heap. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, we see Chantal again. Uh, uh, Mr. C kind of has her look over his wound. I think she tends it. We don't really see that part though, but, uh. Yeah, and then it goes back. Uh, Cole has to break the news to Diane. They're not going back to Philly. Uh, she's not happy. <laughs> she's not happy at all. I just want to go fucking home. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Cole like informs her. It's like this. You know, basically lets her know it's a blue ra- blue rose case. <laughs> um, so she she reluctantly agrees and then uh, albert wakes up from his snooze uh <laughs> diane lo- just get glares at him he's like i know i know fuck you albert <laughs> <laughs> then he just rolls over <laughs> i love that scene dude i thought that was hilarious i actually watched that twice it's it, it, yeah it's uh 
again, this this gets back to more of the quirky, uh, more of the like you know the fun elements. I think people remember of Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. and this was like, and I love the the exchange between Diane and Albert. Uh, just, I mean, it really makes me wish we would have gotten the Gordon Cole and Albert mysteries of Diane. It would have been so good. So good, right? Like that would have been that would have been awesome. Instead of doing what, what Mark, uh, what, what Frost and Lynch did on the air, they should have done the, the, the Cole and the Cole and Albert mysteries. It would have been, yeah, the, um, it would have been amazing. Just die and tell him fuck you all. The time. <laughs> what do you got for us, Diane? Fuck you. <laughs> um. So yeah, so then they find out Ward Murphy calls, and um, uh, or Ward Murphy calls and says that Cooper has flown the coop essentially, um, and then you know, it's so funny because in the previous episode he said he was going to leave the warden alone, and then he tells Hutch and Chantel to kill him within two days, and he doesn't care where. <laughs> yep. At home, at work, and in between, he just doesn't, he wants the man dead. Yep. And then they asked if Chantel should play with him, and to which point she said, I'll make him sing. And I'm like, what are they, what information are they going to get out of him? <laughs> <laughs> um. And an interesting thing, we see uh, Mr. C uh, sending a text. Yes. And it says, around the dinner table, the conversation is lively. Uh, what do you take from this, Paul? I have theories. <laughs> Ooh, I want to hear your theories because I was trying to figure out some theories, and I honestly could not come up with one. It's cryptic, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's a, a warning. But it seems like a, like, you know, kind of like almost like with uh, – the woodsman poem and the fire walk with me poem. And like, when we think, when I think of dinner table with twin peaks, I think of the above the convenience store and fire walk with me. Mm, good around, call around the dinner table. The conversations, lively. <laughs> you know, we get that exchange between the arm and Bob and, you know, we got Miss Chalfont there and the early adaptation of the woodsman and all that. So, yeah, I think this was kind of like a loaded, red herring for that i i think so yeah and i also think it had something to do with um uh i mean we know who he said we find out in this episode who he sent it to um and i think that was also him telling this particular person that we'll get to to get the information to get information yep it's just like it's also it's just one of those weird old-timey <laughs> sayings mm-hmm. you know, like that Lynch and Frost are, you know, we brought it up like, uh, what was it in the second season? Like Truman's like, I'll knock your teeth up all the way up to Queer Street. <laughs> Just this weird shit. Yeah, very old timey lines. Very yeah, old timey. This vernacular we haven't heard since 1955. <laughs> Pretty much. Pre, yeah, that's about right. Yeah, it's about the right time frame for that. For that, yeah, it's about uh, 1955, 19, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just think that also just goes to show, um, you know, with the writing and things like that, um, how, you know, influenced Frost and um, Lynch are to that kind of old timey thing. And that shows in a lot of scenes and a lot of the wardrobe and a lot of the art direction as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah so then. Um, oh, then he calls Duncan Todd, who I haven't seen in a long time. Asked him if he's got it done, and he says he better have it. He said no, and he says he better have it done. Um, um, no. Next time he calls. Yeah, next time he calls. Yep, and then he calls in Roger, and we don't know what happened in that conversation. <laughs> I'm sure Roger had an uncomfortable, uncomfortable conversation. Uh, as uh, as we gleaned, uh, Ike the Spike uh, did not. Uh, fulfill his part of the deal a few mm. episodes back probably because half his palm was stamped onto the handgun yeah and then this is where we get back to mr c and hutch and Chantel. Uh, he, he he tells him to kill the warden and then he has a double header for him in vegas which uh does not bode well for mr duncan todd no 
No, it does not bode well for for Todd. It, it, this is the thing. Like I'm really like all these people should realize that when they work with him, they're going to get killed anyways. Yeah, he, he's you know you can't even label him a sociopath because he's not even of this world. <laughs> right, right. He's yeah, he's just pure evil, is what he is. And then we see that um, Hutch is in the getting cuckled because he tells Chantel to give him a smooch, <laughs> give him a big yeah. gut one. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's odd. And then Chantel hands him a bag of Cheetos. I, I never, I didn't catch that the first time, but I, it's funny because, uh, like in a later episode, she's munching on Cheetos uh, while they're in Vegas. So I love, I love that little like foreshadowing I never noticed before. Yeah, I didn't notice that either. Honestly, I didn't notice. I mean, I knew she handed him something, but I didn't remember it being um, uh, the Cheetos. Yeah. As we know, Chantel loves her junk food. <laughs> we'll get to know. <laughs> we will get to know. <laughs> <laughs> and then he wants a punch to basically destroy the, the phone, uh, which he takes to it with a shotgun, which, I mean, uh, the dad is out there. Uh, I don't see I, I mean, it's, yeah, it's harder to track that phone, but it's all in the cloud or whatever. So this is one of those things like, yeah, these are, this is old people writing. <laughs> yeah absolutely yes yes it is yes it is um uh, you know, no offense to lynch and frost but uh you know uh, the cell phone revolution was after their time <laughs> well i mean and you look at the phone they were using <laughs> that he was using the type it. it's an old razor phone what the shit um for a billionaire mr c's a little behind on the times with the cell phones um Jesus Christ. So I think Jesse Pinkman and Breaking Bad had better burner phones. <laughs> just a little. Just a little. Um yeah, then uh then he then he drives off and in a giant truck, by the way. It's like a monster truck. <laughs> it's so funny. And I just want to go back and say how happy I was at this time to see Jennifer Jason Lee and Tim Roth in this. Um so awesome because Jennifer Jason Lee, I didn't see her in anything. I mean, she, you know, she kind of left Hollywood for a while till um, really, uh, uh, what was that? Uh, uh, the the Quentin Tarantino movie. Help me out here. Oh, uh, uh, was it the Kill Bills? No, she wasn't. No, no, no. Oh, no. uh, Jackie Brown. Mm-mm-mm. No, no, no. Um, the 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 winter one with Sam Jackson, where they're stuck in the. Oh, in- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the hateful eight. That's thank you, thank you. I got. I couldn't think of the name. Great in that. Yeah, she was great in that. Right. Yeah. Her girls had a good dynamic I, in that too. Yeah. And wasn't Tim Roth in that with it as well? Yeah, he was one of the. One of, I mean, I love hateful eight, but let's just call it what it is. It's a four-hour-long uh, Reservoir dog set in a different time. It's Yes, yes, it's just, it was, it was, it was um, Quentin going back to the original. But yes, they were great in that together, and they're great together in this. Like it's, you know, I really think I don't know if that was kind of smart casting on their part, or it was just happenstance again. But I thought that was really interesting. That, huh? The la- the two projects that she was in when she came back were both with Tim Roth. I just yeah. thought that was an interesting thing. Yeah, I think uh, on the 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 Blu-ray for the return, they uh, I think they asked them during the comic-con special feature and i think it was just happenstance they just happened to both get cast for both projects which was kind of surreal to both of them but yeah uh yeah i had not seen jennifer jason lee in a long time like she just vanished it's good to see her back though and actually like back in kind of art housey things big big budget art house movies projects yes yeah yeah, yeah, it was great to see her do that, and you know, I, yeah, and see her as, as you said in art housey projects. Speaking of art housey, uh, art, art housey projects, Cooper and Janie <laughs> are hanging out waiting for Todd Packard. <laughs> yeah, well, we know now. We I think we know what Todd Packard's doing when he's on the road. He's not really selling paper, but he's moonlighting as a cop in Vegas. <laughs> I, I I just gotta say I love him, I love him in this one. Um, well, he's great in it. Like him as the sports caster and anchorman was great. <laughs> he's just he's a good uh, comedic force, and it's kind of weird seeing him as a more uh, 
uh, like a, a button down character because he's such an over the top comedian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Go, uh, well, you know, so yeah, we're at the police station with uh, Janie E and Cooper in the waiting room, and Bushnell is talking to the cops. Uh, uh, Bushnell seems to think they know more than they're letting on, and we we don't get this verbally, but you can tell because he starts. Uh, we you can tell when he's getting frustrated with. Uh, the F- Fusco brothers, <laughs> all three cops are brothers. He starts, uh, he's doing these things with his hands that boxers do, which is like he squeezes it. He opens it and squeezes it. So you, you can tell he's getting frustrated, mm-hmm. uh, which is a nice thing. So that's just showing us that he knows more than they're letting on. Uh, that's such good uh, filmmaking right there for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, he, um, you know, makes, makes the comment there, you know, his, his car blew up, um, you know, you, you had this, um, and, and, you know, they're trying to figure it out. And I, I forget the guy in the middle, uh, him, uh, the, one? The, 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 the tall one, the one that laughs. Yeah. The one with the goofy laugh. Um, oh my God. So, you know, if I was Janie and and if I was Janie watching them just laugh in that room, I'd be super pissed, right? And I think she was. And they bring that up. They're like, uh, yeah, she's, you know, you, you, you don't want to mess with her. Yeah, because uh, uh, they, they bring up, like, talking to him is like talking to a dog. And then, like, the other one's like, yeah, but she's the one who barks. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, we find a little bit more about Dougie here in this scene and that he's been with uh, Bushnell for 12 years. Uh, he had a car accident long before he joined, and the effects of that accident is is what explains when he goes in these episodes. So, like, what we're seeing now is something that Dougie must have really have actually did. <laughs> right. <clears throat> right. And we learned some other really in- interesting information because they pull up some information on, on – they try to pull up information on Dougie, and they note that they – can't find anything uh, information about him prior to 1997. There is no driver's license, no social security card, no birth certificate, no anything, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, this is 97, uh, you know, when Mr. C creates Dougie. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, and, you know, if I was a cop, uh, they jump to witness protection. That would probably be the only explanation for why you can't pull up information on somebody before that. Uh, they had, they said like, well, we can talk to a guy down at federal, uh, witness protection. There's no way there's no. going to be a leak. Uh, if there is a leak, uh, they're losing their jobs. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that's, you know, I thought that was brilliant that they went right to that actually. Cause I was like, that's what I would think too was, you know, witness protection as well. Yeah. Um, because yeah, that's one of those things where they do, they eliminate everything. And, you know, you, you, you don't hear a lot about those people. Um, so yeah, I thought that was, um, that was good. Yeah. Uh, and then, but we also get a, you know, the guy's tail light has to get it fixed <laughs> to the tune of $236. <laughs> uh, again, I, I like these little moments where you know, they're just like, it shows, like, you know, these guys are actually, like, you know, they're not just, like, one-dimensional cut-out characters. Like, just, like, those little asides, at least. They give, like, background characters uh, a little more uh, depth to them. And, you know, that's, like, shit brothers talk about. Like, oh, fuck, you know. <laughs> yep. Yep. And it, later we'll see a little little thing there where he makes a comment. There's the tailpipe. There, there's the there's the, uh, yeah, the taillight. He's like, yeah, a scratch over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just doubled down on the guy's history. <laughs> oh, so mean, so mean. But yeah, that's exactly how brothers operate. But um, Todd Packer does something pretty interesting actually, um, where he brings a second cup of coffee and takes the first one to get fingerprinted. I thought that was actually really brilliant. Paul, are you saying he Yankee swapped that? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he Yankee swapped that cup and somehow gave a game another cup for Christmas. That goddamn Todd Packard. We know he's getting drunk and a drunk passed out in about thirty minutes. <laughs> if you know, uh, yeah, if, if people that don't know what we're talking about, we're we just did the um the the Christmas party episode. 
on our other podcast that had um, uh, God, help me with the name again. David Keckner plays. <laughs> Todd Packard in that. So, uh, yeah, I th- I'm throwing out some office jokes at Paul just to throw him a little bit off his balance. <laughs> a little bit, t- yes, a little bit, t- which is great. Um, I need it. Uh, <laughs> it's been a day. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we get this really interesting scene where Cooper is in the black suit, right? And he, you know, kind of like okay, and or Dougie is, and then he stares at the American flag. He starts to hear. Um, the American um, America, uh, the beautiful playing. Then he gets obsessed with a woman's red shoes and then he gets focused on the uh, electrical outlet. And I just thought that was kind of like this for the first time to me, I started to really um, start to understand that he, he is in there, but he can't call for help. Yeah. He's, he's trapped in this vessel uh, <clears throat> only being, it's like, it's probably like being trapped in a car with like three flat tires, you know, and it can only go in one gear. Uh, that's kind of like where Cooper's at with Dougie at this point. Uh, and we also find out that uh, the p- cops have a have a lead on uh, poor Ike. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Ike the Spike. Um, because they were able to get his palm print. <laughs> that's yeah. palm. Oh, that, that, imagine how much that had to hurt. Oh. Having your whole palm just like ripped off and have it like glued onto like a the grip of a gun, man. Holy oh. crap. God, the, I mean the strength in 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 Dougie's body and you know in Cooper in is just that is wow. Yeah, I can't imagine the the pain that that is cuz that had to be insane. Um and they kind of, you know, they go and um, um, he has a message for JT. We know who that is. Yep. S- saying that he's a t- that he's taken the medical leave, and he is st- and he's got a giant cast. <laughs> he's got a giant uh, fucking cast. I I look closely. It's not a, exactly a cast. It's basically what he did is he took a bath towel. From the hotel and take it, so it looks like an oven mitt on his hand. Oh my god, that's hilarious! Even a cast, like he had, because obviously he's a he's a wanted felon, so he can't go to a hospital when he's hurt. So it's a nice nice little touch. It's not a cast; it's actually like a, a hotel towel wrapped around his hand. Oh my god, I love it! Oh my god, I love it! That's fantastic. And then and then he makes the little whimper. <laughs> oh like oh you had one job to do <laughs> you had one job to do and instead you got throat punched and uh a crushed hand yeah. mm. and not very good at your job are you ike well obviously he was because you know they, they've been looking for him for years right well we saw him earlier he was doing all right in that uh, office building <laughs> 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 that was fantastic. <laughs> oh, but now we have to. We're going to be magically whisked away to one of my favorite scenes at the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department between Andy and Lucy. This is such a touching scene. Like this is that that is um and a, such a great scene, isn't it? Yeah, uh, you really just see how much Andy and Lucy really care for each other. Um, they're having just the most innocent argument. About it, the color of a chair that they both want, and but they want different colors, and they're going back and forth, and finally, Annie says, "You can have the beige one, Punky," and then she, you gets a smile on her face and orders the red one for him. It's just, it's, it's like, yes, this is the Andy and Lucy that we know, right? This season one, Andy and Lucy, we mm-hmm. got. Oh, uh... And it's nice because he, you know, he he doesn't just say like you can have. He's like he apologizes, like I'm sorry. You can have the, you know, just being like, you know, you know, this just being sweet. They're just such a sweet couple. Yes. And again, this is another one of those instances where it felt like classic Twin Peaks because they, uh, they keep getting up from their desk, walking to the other person's desk, and saying their piece. Yeah. Walking back, <laughs> it's just oh, these two. That just it's just so great, isn't it? It's just it's like I said, I love the dynamic there. Um <clears throat> and then we get what 
we assume is uh, is the um, a horn residence because uh, we hear Johnny got loose. <laughs> Johnny's <laughs> running around. Oh God! <laughs> Talk about an odd character to bring back. Yeah, oh. of all the characters that you bring back, you bring back Johnny Horn, and Johnny Horn. Uh, takes a massive spill, man. <laughs> yeah, he puts a hole in the wall and cuts his head. Open. Oh, God. Yeah, it looks like he's fucking dead, right? Yeah, that's what I thought when I first saw that he died. Like, Yep, I was like, oh, this is how they killed Johnny Horn. All right. <laughs> you know, they probably could have... Yeah, I was like the same way. I'm like, why didn't they just kill him off in, like, secret history or something? <laughs> like, Right. But then this is followed up by probably... Uh, this is my favorite scene of this episode. One of my favorite scenes in all of Twin Peaks is uh, Mrs. Briggs yes. gets a visit from Bobby and the fellas. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're there, uh, and she knows exactly what they want to talk about because before the day before Garland died, uh, so we're, we're going to go back in a little bit in the secret history here. Uh, at the end, when we find out Garland Briggs is the, the archivist, mm-hmm. he writes... Before he writes Mayday, he talks about a disturbing encounter with Cooper. Uh, this is this is also going back to that day. What he does, uh, what he did uh, was he he told uh, Mrs. Briggs that this was going to happen. He predicted at this very moment uh, that it would be Truman, Hawk, and Bobby. Though she wasn't expecting this version of Truman. Mm-hmm. And when they come to ask you about Agent Cooper, give them this. And uh, this is, uh, it's it's great because like, you know, and this is followed up. So there's a compartment in in their living room chair. She brings out like a little metal cylinder. Uh, Before she says, she like does the very lynching thing. She just points out and like, this is the chair. (laughs) Um, And, uh, Pulls it out, uh, and then she talks about how Garland and her Garland, you know, always had this positive uh, future envisioned with Bobby. Uh, came a very long way from where he is to where from where he was to where he is today. Turned out what life turned out well for Bobby. Uh, we yep. get the sappy scene in the back of my mind is screaming. Remember that time Bobby killed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you get the impression that she didn't believe Garland in the way that she says it, right? You were a long way from the person you are now. And you kind of get the feeling that she didn't have the same trust in Bobby because he killed a cop and ran drugs in the high school. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, And tried to blackmail Bob. Ben Horn. Let's not forget that. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's. I love this scene. And then like you know, they're like, let's break for coffee. And again, it's it's great seeing Charlotte Stewart. Uh, she's been with Lynch since the beginning. She was uh, a <clears throat> yeah. I think she was the the mother of the baby and a racer head. Yep. Uh, so she's been <laughs> very like. When you see her in Twin Peaks, you're like, you really don't think a razor head, which is just uh, pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah, it's it's a it's a um, it's a far cry between the two characters, right? (laughs) (laughs) And I think, you know, but again, she was also I look back at Tremors. She was the mom in Tremors, too. And this seems to be more like I wonder if she did that and was like, I don't think I could do anything that weird anymore, David. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that's. Yeah. And they they hand them this thing. And she said, you know, give them this. And, um, you know, um, per Garland's instructions, which was really really cool and even earlier you know they they you know with bringing back briggs and just um um you know talking about it and then well we'll get to it here um because it's happening next is cole albert diane and tammy meet Knox and mackley right mm-hmm. at the buckhorn uh police department to um check out the body of briggs diane says she's not in the mood to see a body she starts smoking 
And Mackley's like, you can't smoke here. And she has another great line. It's a fucking morgue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And uh, and while she's there, she gets that text that we see Mr. C sent out earlier. Mm -hmm. And she does not have a pretty positive face (laughs) about that. I imagine getting a text from Mr. C is not a not a positive experience all around. And uh, so she's in there. Uh, Cole and Albert are getting the rundown on Hastings and El- uh, the body and all that. And he's going through the crazy story, you know, like he's the middle school principal. She was blah, blah, blah. Uh, the- <laughs> his wife was shot by their lawyer. And Albert had another great line like, wow, like what happens in season two? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's classic Albert, isn't it? It also feels like meta commentary on the actual first and two second seasons of Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Exactly, because that's kind of what 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 they're talking about kind of happened. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, and then um, you know they're going back and forth over the body, and the the commentary between. The coroner and Albert is awesome. Like Albert likes the coroner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they got the similar snarky personality. It's it's great. <laughs> and they bring up the ring um, that was in um, Briggs' stomach. But before that, they go and talk. And I love this. This is actually probably my favorite scene of the whole episode because the way that Miguel Ferrier. This is classic Albert. He's playing like he summoned the way albert would talk to cooper yeah it's it's yeah <laughs> you know you gotta remember like let's uh let's let's go out in private and let's think out loud <laughs> yes <laughs> but yeah it's i i love this scene too it's this again this episode feels all around like like reeling us back in after what we saw, just saw before and kind of like Sprinkling a little bit of fan service at us, mm-hmm. sprinkling just a just a little bit, just that little bit, <laughs> you know. I love very it. much so, very much so. And um, so they decide that they're going to let Albert work on the body. And um, well, we'll get to that, I guess, because next we get well, we get the <laughs> ring and uh. So the uh, the coroner has, there's a ring they found in Briggs' stomach uh, inscribed to Dougie love Janie E. Mm-hmm. Yes. <clears throat> and so, so now we're kind of, yeah. Go ahead. Now we're getting excited because we, we think they're on the track. We think they're on the trail. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, and now they need to speak with Hastings. Okay. So. Before that, <laughs> um, before they actually get to Hastings, we cut to <laughs> another brilliant scene. Jerry Horn high as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> he, he doesn't want to. He's looking up. He don't think anything. Then he looks at his foot, and you hear this. Hear this voice. I am not your foot. And he has to look away. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, part of me, <clears throat> because later on, uh, how he ends up, uh, at the end of the season, because the distance alone made me think <laughs> Terry got high in the woods and encountered a lodge. <laughs> right? <laughs> because, uh, that voice is not coming from Jerry. I am not your foot. It could be a hallucination. Uh, <laughs> Who knows? It it it, it makes me laugh. Yeah, he's fighting with his leg. <laughs> he's fighting. Yeah, and that that's the best part. Like the scene kind of goes on for a little while, and he's looking like nothing's happening, and then he's like, "Come here!" <laughs> he takes his foot while ye- and while yelling, "Go away! Go away! <laughs> that's a go away!" his foot. Oh my god, so funny. Love that. Love that scene. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, good shit, man. That's 
<laughs> and I also wanted to bring up because I remember that I have this written in my notes. It also was depressing to see an old. It still depresses me to see an old David Patrick Kelly, right? Because um, he's just so goddamn good in everything he does, and it was just kind of like, ah, man. Like I just found that a little depressing. Yeah, but I mean, he, he's still great in everything I see him, and I just don't see him in as much stuff as <clears throat> we I used to, but. That's just that's just how life goes. And now we go back to Twin Peaks where we see Chad eating two microwave dinners in the conference room. Oh my god, Chad. I hate Chad. <laughs> He's a dick. He's a dick. And apparently they don't like what he eats either because uh, they make him get out. And you could tell that no one likes him. No one likes Chad. Um <laughs> Because they make him get out and tell him that he's, um, you know, you're not allowed to eat in the conference room. He's like, well, you guys eat coffee and donuts all the time. They're like, get out, Chad. And so he picks up his stuff, his magazine, his two TV dinners and, and some soup. And he's trying to get out. And he's like, help with the door. And Cox like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. He's like, his eyes alone are just like, go fuck yourself, buddy. Yep. And he's like, please, a little help. And finally, Hawk opens up the door, to which they, uh, when as soon as they close it, like, open the window. <laughs> so you get the vibe that Chad fucking stinks. <laughs> oh, There's some, he's yeah, the he's the stank guy. guy. Yeah. <laughs> you got some B.O. there, Chad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are the stanky man in the office. So, you know, I was, when I first saw this scene, and I, I, I was... Like, I was ready for it. I was like, okay, they're going to, we're going to spend like five episodes trying to get this thing open, right? Because Hawk and Frank don't understand it. I'm like, okay, this is going to be a subplot here. Totally switches on us, right? And Bobby's laughing because he's like, I know how to open that. And they have to go outside and he throws it on the ground. Have you heard of anything like this? Have you seen anything like this? I haven't. I haven't either, but again, this kind of goes back to, like, the classic Twin Peaks with, like, uh, clues and, uh, like, boxes and things like that of that nature. Like, this is, like, again, this feels like a classic Twin Peaks. Uh, like, I could see Cooper in an old, in like, a season one episode, like, I know how to open this, Harry. <laughs> starts mm-hmm. doing what Bobby does, you know? But I've never I, seen anything like this in real life. Uh, yeah. I think it's made it up for the show. Okay, and yes, you're exactly right. Like this does feel like, class. Like this is part of that. What makes this feel like classic Twin Peaks? Like just this whole episode. So yeah, he throws it on the ground. It has to create a hum, and then once the hum stops, he has to throw it again, and that opens it. Uh, whatever. And they pull out. What does the note say there, Joe? Uh, well, it's a map with mm-hmm. coordinates. Uh, and it says Jackrabbit's Palace, which is like I thought it was going to be another. You know, like, I was like, he was like, oh, this thing's going to be like five episodes to solve it. I'm like, oh, they're going to take like at least three or four episodes to figure out what Jack Rabbit pa- Rat- Rabbit's Palace is. And then Bobby's smiling again, like, I know where Jack Rabbit is. Like, damn it. Right? Right? <laughs> You're subverting my expectations again. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's two times in a row. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And um, he explains that it's a place that his dad used to take him to. When he was younger, and there was their imaginary world, and that Bobby is the one that named it Jack Rabbit's Palace. Yeah. Uh, and this is like kind of going back to season two. This is where I think where we saw Briggs when he was talking about the White Lodge. And we'll get into that when we see it, but that's my when he's we see Briggs in that wooded area. That's what I assume was when he was talking about visiting the White Lodge. But we're not there yet. No. Nope. Uh, there's also another piece of paper, the the thing that uh, Briggs brought to Cooper, uh, with where all the space gibberish, and it says Cooper, Cooper, and the third Cooper's cut off in this. Yes, uh, that means it, the third Cooper, which is Dougie, is uh, not only the sea is there. <laughs> yes, and that's why you know, and Hawk immediately figures it out two Coopers. There's two Coopers. Yep. Yep. And um, 
then uh, there's a short scene that feels like filler with Cole and Preston outside with Diane. Yeah, it's just a smoke break. Uh, yeah. Man, uh, yeah, this is, uh, you know, it's like the guy sweeping peanuts. I don't give a shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now we cut, then we cut to Hastings, right? <laughs> Sobbing uncontrollably. Mm. Like, I, they should have just added some snot bubbles coming out of his nose. Yeah, let me, let me say this. I love, 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 love Fred Willard in the, uh, Jason, uh, uh, not Fred Matthew Willard, Lillard. Oh, okay. Matthew Lillard in this. I love him in this. I think he's actually great in this. Um, he he comes across as like just this dorky guy that got involved in something and is just totally scared shitless. Like he just plays it so well, in my opinion. Yeah. I don't, I don't know your take. Yeah, I think he's doing a good good job here. I mean, uh, he's his world's crashing down, and uh, and he's making the connection now because Tammy takes the lead on the questioning, and it's not so much about what happened to Ruth Davenport, but the blog that they were working on about the zone. And uh, I just want to bring up uh, <laughs> shortly after this episode aired. People typed in uh, web URLs and found that <laughs> Showtime had cre- created like a GeoCities website for Bill Hastings' blog. I lo- I spent hours on that site. To be honest with you, it was great. It was so <laughs> there's so many like secret things like 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 the old GeoCities pages where little links were hidden and you could click on and go places and there was little, you know, little snippets and little videos and little audio clips. It was great. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> he has a website and he has a blog where him and Ruth were investigating uh, other dimen- other dimensions. Uh, and, but what their research eventually found, it brought them on as they f- came into contact with somebody called The Major. Who is hibernating in the zone. Yes. The zone is what uh, I'd imagine is just another another lodge, uh, a safe haven for him to hide. Uh, kind of like what I, it's kind of like my explanation at the end of the series. Yes. Uh, I won't go too much further than that. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, let's... Uh, um... Yeah, we, let's let's go in further than that later because I think we're going to be on the same page there. Um, and you know, they ask, you know, what happened there, and he wanted coordinates, and so they left and got him coordinates. Went back there on Thursday, gave him the coordinates, and his head detached from his body and floated up, and he says it was beautiful, and he said the one word which was saying Cooper, Cooper. At which point then he looked and Ruth was dead and they asked who killed Ruth. And he said, there's all these people there. There's all these other things there. So it definitely is a lodge, right? Yeah. Yep. And uh, go ahead. Yeah. No. So yeah, he's in a lodge. We, you know, uh, <clears throat> we've talked about the show, especially with the return kind of expanded this world, which I love. And I'm glad like, we don't. We'll. We will never see the lodge that or whatever. Even like even if it's considered a lodge or if it's called something else, where uh, it's basically the zone, which is what we're going to call it, where uh, where Briggs is, what, had been hiding for twenty two and a half decades. Yeah, yeah. We're never going to find it. We're never going to see it, right? And <clears throat> but they do talk about the first time that they're there. People came in and pushed him down, and there was just a lot of interesting things going on that make you wonder who or what entities were in there, right? Yeah. Uh, we don't know. <laughs> we just get, like, exposition on it. Not very detailed. Uh, again, Hastings is sobbing. He's uh, kind of reliving these moments because uh, they don't make sense to hit in his head because it's, he's, he doesn't know this these worlds. Uh, he They kind of... Him and Ruth kind of uh, bit off more they can chew with this research. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And then <clears throat> towards the end of the conversation, 
she hands him a book and says, can you put, is, is the major in one of these pictures? And he points out Major Briggs and she makes him circle it and sign and date it. What did you think about that? I know there's conspiracy theories on the, the date. Uh, I'm yet, we've talked about this since the start of this podcast. Uh, Lynch is not the best with continuity. So I think that was just more of a, a blip than anything else. Mm-hmm. That's what I think as well. A hundred percent. That's. I mean, I mean, otherwise we're talking about multiple dimensions and like, this is already like a, a long and deeply written uh, series in itself. Uh, I don't think they needed more rabbit holes to jump down with the script. So. No, no, I am with you on that. I, yes, you and I are same page on that. Um, and then, um, we cut to the, the lodge again and it's Ben and Beverly and they're trying to figure out what the noise is and they're hearing it loud from a certain place. Um, and it looks like they're about to kiss and Ben's like, I can't do this and I don't know why. Yeah. It's a different side of Ben than we're, that we're used to. He seems, uh, grown up. I think he's more mature. <laughs> hmm. Uh, yeah. And- uh, he's an older man now, and, uh, you know, we kind of glean from secret history, and we'll kind of learn a little bit more when we talk final dossier. That uh, He's kind of, he had, he's been had a reckoning with his actions since the Audrey went into a coma. And I, that's, I think you didn't even need the secret history or, or the final dossier with that. I thought that was pretty clear cut that the fact that Audrey was in a coma and fucked up really affected him i think like i thought that was kind of portrayed yeah so then we get finally to the roadhouse and we get hudson mohawk playing (laughs) playing a song who the fuck is hudson mohawk no idea uh don't care (laughs) Um, uh, i looked it up after i watched the episode too and i was just like you know what he did a couple bleeps and bloops for like four for, for like a minute and a half, I don't. I'm not jumping down that rabbit hole of this guy. Yeah, I, I mean, it's uh, yeah. I, apparently, uh. <laughs> we see uh, uh, a, a a junked out Sky Fair Fiera. <laughs> yes, uh, and her friend, a friend of her, comes and uh, like she's like got these this nasty rash, and she's talking about how she got fired at this burger joint and uh, you know like it you know it's not her and like i'm just looking at it just like man these two would just fit in perfectly in st cloud minnesota <laughs> oh my god wouldn't they it's like i've seen those two there i swear to god uh i'm pretty sure i've met ella in real life right <laughs> oh yeah and that's a wonderful way of making sky fiera look look awful yeah but <laughs> That rash is so nasty. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I barely recognized that it was Sky Fiera, right? I mean, she is... They did a wonderful makeup job on her. And she's working in a burger place. And it's like, I wrote my notes. Is she, like, the the daughter of, like, that barf guy from You Can't Do That on television? You know, the, <laughs> the guy with the burgers. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. I forgot all about him. Oh, I love that show. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's the right name. Send us send us a correction in the in the comments. Please, please, yeah, we, if you're wrong there, it's been it's been God, it's been uh, at least thirty years since I've seen that show. I think. Same year. <laughs> but you know, she's talking about how she's like working across the street serving burgers. I was like, yeah, she's like that skeezy guy from You Can't Do That on Television, sure, serving those rat burgers. Oh, God. Oh my god, the shit that's that's another rabbit hole. The shit that show got away with. What the fuck? Um But there's there's a thing too with this character uh, before we, we move on to the musical act. Mm-hmm. She's for me, she's also symbolic of the town is poisoned. Yes. Okay, so remember I kept talking about the drug thing, right? The drug thing with um Balthazar Getty. I really thought that there was gonna become a major plot point because of the fact that they kept showing the itch and things like this. I really thought that this was going to be 
something that was going to kind of play out a little bit more. And um, I was expecting like this to actually be something that went somewhere because they did spend a lot of time focusing it. But bringing that up, yes, the second viewing of it now, I had that same thought, which is she's representing the fact that Twin Peaks is just poisoned. Yeah, it's it's getting rot- rotted to its core, and uh, it this 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 scene and like uh, few uh, I don't remember the episode later, but it's when uh, uh, Bobby is getting yelled at by the old woman in the car, and the daughter's sick, and she has like green vomit. Like this is kind of like something's wrong with tw- in Twin Peaks. Uh, the people are they're they're ratty getting ratty looking they're almost looking like lodge entities you know they're kind of she kind of looks like uh that weird old woman from firewalk with me absolutely absolutely yep yep no and that's 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 the thing that's why i thought like this drug had something to do and i still believe that the drug that there's a side story there where the drug has something uh to do with um with the lodge i really feel that way um, sure, but it's also they're also like ground zero of the black and white watch too. Yeah, that's a good point as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, all right, so the musical act. I love this song. I love this song. Great song. Uh, second time we've seen seen this band too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Orvar Simone and I really I, I like their first one, but this one is really what actually got me wanting to check out their albums and more of their music was this particular song. Same here. And I was kind of uh, disappointed on the, the soundtrack to this. I bought uh, when it came out, I was like, I don't buy uh, physical media a whole lot anymore, mm-hmm. uh, but I bought, you know, I buy hard copies of like Twin Peaks stuff and like things I'm really into. And uh, I was kind of upset that this wasn't the song they decided to put on it. Like I was a little like, Ah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's you know, it was a little disappointing too because I've you know I I have a playlist and I you know off of um, <clears throat> YouTube Music, and um, I was excited you know and same thing and no, this was not included on that. I had to go find it elsewhere. I just wanted to give the name of the song: "A Violent Yet Flammable World." Uh, if you haven't heard it, well, if you're listening this far and for whatever reason, like you just shut off <laughs> the band's play. Uh, Give it a shot. I really, really enjoy this song. It's it's a great, great song. So, huh, that's the episode. Um, it wasn't dedicated to anyone. Oh, it's one of the few ones that that wasn't. Uh, part eight wasn't dedicated to anyone either. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, overall, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 a good episode to rein things kind of back in from the chaos that we saw in part eight. It, yes, this felt like um, I have to agree with that. Like he, they knew they went really far with that one, so they were gonna have to fan service on the next one. I, I do think uh, you know Frost and Lynch saw that and did that. Um, it's it's one of the more I thought interesting episodes because it start. This is the pivot point where things are starting. Just the picture starting to form of of what of the groundwork of where it's going to go right yep yeah they they needed this especially after part eight like part eight throws you through a loop like whoa what the fuck is this and this one's starting like now the pieces are falling together Mm -hmm. yes um it's uh it's a uh yeah it's a good episode um uh, I, I mean, it's not my favorite, but it definitely is up there as like, um, in terms of moving things forward, it's pivotal, right? And it's paced a lot better than some of the episodes that are like, you know, pushing the narrative along. This one just felt like it's paced a little more smoother. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. I mean, there's a couple of scenes because it is Lynch's work where some of the scenes hang a little long, and that's just again to me. That's Lynch's way of making you feel uncomfortable. You're not, you're not reading into it. It's that he's going against conventional film beats to create a tension. And it's brilliant that he does it that way. Yep. Yeah, I am. Uh, yeah. 
this is uh, this this is yeah. I enjoy this episode. Uh, I'm looking forward to the next episode, especially because uh, the musical act in uh, part part ten is Rebecca Del Rio, and uh, yes, star song is um, probably one number one or two of my favorite songs from this this season. So yes, um, yes, I am looking forward to the next episode because we get some more throwback. Um, characters, we get some really um, interesting uh, revelations about some characters, and yeah, I really like the next episode. Yeah, but we're not. This is the end of this one. Uh, so, Paul, let's get into some plugs. Yes. What do you what? got going on? Well, uh, let's see here. Um, the latest episode of uh, Cast That Movie came out um, last week. So we were st- we're still in the process of doing the uh, Waterworld and um, uh, Steroids and Baseball. We will do that this weekend. That will come out um, about the same time that our next episode will come out. When episode 10 comes out, that episode will come out. Um, and then what do you got going on over at the Showdown? It's Halloween month, so uh, this week uh, we're we uh, I plugged it last week, but we just haven't had time to get to it. We're doing Mandy, uh, Nicholas Cage. Uh, it's on Shutter. It's I can't describe it. Uh, I want to hear back from Brown because uh, my guess is we might podcast that one because it's it, it's such a weird movie to. It'd be like us trying to like write a written back and forth review of a racer head it just it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh yeah so we got that followed by <laughs> gus van sant's shot for shot remake of psycho is just horse shit <laughs> um yep. john carpenter's original halloween which is you know just classic i had to throw a classic in there because we just like to torture each other yeah it, that is a classic i mean you know a lot of people talk about in, in my mind people when people think about the search first slasher film they think friday the 13th i think halloween yeah i mean there's others before but it really like launched the genre uh, mm-hmm. and, and then we followed up with carrie because we got to get our john travolta and <laughs> um yeah that's our, that's so that's what's coming up with us uh and then we have which we talked about before, our office podcast, Paul. Yes, we just did. Um, which one is coming out next? Um, it'll be... Uh, it'll be email. Email surveillance. Email surveillance. Uh, email. Yeah. So, sorry to show you guys how the how the hot dogs are made, but yeah, we re- record a few of them ahead of time, but we did, uh, we did reference the uh, Yankee swap with Tom Packard. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah, for those of you that listen to this podcast and that podcast, I'll just I'll just explain how we do it. We do two episodes that day, so I still am watching the episodes for the first time, but I'm watching them in two, and then we release them in you know two different weeks because of the way our podcasting schedules and our jobs and everything work. We have to do it that way. Um, so, but it's still I am still seeing it um, those episodes for the first time, and uh, yes, yeah, so we do email surveillance. And wow, wow, there's a there's a lot that goes wrong in that episode. But, um, you know, uh, it's all the improv made it work. The improv is what <laughs> sold it. So, yeah, oh, like using your hands. <laughs> <laughs> he told me he has a cut, <laughs> but he can't show it to me. <laughs> um. Yeah, so that's really about it that we have going on there. Um, so I guess Joe, do you want to take us out? What do you got? I got nothing. I'm still I'm still recovering from the one-two punch that was part eight and part nine. Just how polar opposites they are. So until next time, fire walk with. Me.